Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, 17 states and the District of Columbia today sued to block the Trump administration from requiring foreign students to take in-person classes or risk deportation. California colleges are scrambling to deal with the new federal guidance. The state draws more international students than any other and already sued the Trump administration over the requirement last Thursday. California says the policy during a pandemic is, quote, dangerous and morally reprehensible. We'll talk with international students, university officials, and the state attorney general after this news. Welcome to Forum from KQED. I'm Mina Kim. International college students say their lives have been upended by federal guidance announced last week that would revoke their legal status if they take all of their classes online. Students currently in their home countries would also be barred from re-entering the U.S. unless their colleges certify that some classes will be offered in person. Harvard and MIT have asked a federal judge in Massachusetts to temporarily block the rule from taking effect with a hearing set for tomorrow. The University of California has also filed a lawsuit opposing the move, and the state, home to more than 184,000 international students, has also sued the Department of Homeland Security and ICE over the policy. Joining me now is California Attorney General Javier Becerra. Welcome, Attorney General Becerra. Mina, thanks for having me. Appreciate you being here. First, why do you believe the Trump administration's actions here are unlawful? Well, they uh, have flip-flopped from their own guidance, legal guidance that they gave to the nation, and they have taken this action without really considering the consequences, not just in terms of the educational futures of hundreds of thousands of students, but the health, safety, and livelihood of millions upon millions of Americans, and certainly the economic uh, viability of so many of these institutions, which we all rely on. And so when you add it all up, these actions by this administration were not just callous, they were capricious and very arbitrary. And in our form of justice, uh, in, in our system, you can't do that kind of stuff, especially if you're the government. What harm would come to the state specifically if this rule took effect? Well, Mina, think about this. <clears throat> if you had uh, if you force these schools to stay open in order uh, to allow them to go through the regular 
uh, curriculum and, and have these international students participate. You're putting the health and well-being of these international students at risk. You're putting the health and well-being of all the students around them at risk. You're putting the health and well-being of older adults who are the professors and administrators at risk. And you're putting the livelihood of these institutions at risk and, of course, the states that rely on the education and also the economic activity that comes from graduating the next generation of engineers, scientists, doctors, lawyers. Remember, California graduates more people from college than any other state in the nation, and we have more of these international students than anyone else as well. So is that why you also called the move dangerous and morally reprehensible? You've also called it cruel. Is that what you're referring to, Attorney General? Yes, of course. Uh, this volatile behavior that Donald Trump is manifesting as president is not only harmful to these international students, it's harmful to our education system. It's harmful to all the other students who would be attending, the, to the professors, everyone that I've mentioned. You just don't do business this way. Uh you wouldn't want to run a business where it's so volatile that you have no certainty, no predictability. Same thing for government and its institutions. You can't operate this way, and not, neither should we, given that just three months ago, the administration gave guidance that said that these international students could participate uh, under the programs that these universities had set forward, including online programming. So then what do you think is the intent of the Trump administration in making this rule? Mina, you know, that's a tough one. Uh, and try to put yourself in the head of uh, President Donald Trump. It's, it's very difficult to understand and certainly to spit out log logic, even if you do. And I, I don't know if it's just that he has injected now electoral campaign uh, issues into this, and uh, he's unwilling to leave the politics of this. My sense is that he is doing everything he can to try to uh, deflect from the dismal failure of this administration in attacking COVID-19. And rather than let people see another instance of what happens when you, you're not on the watch, taking care of business as the president, uh, he'd rather show that schools are back in in business and people don't have to worry about COVID-19. The reality is, of course, we can't. And we see these spikes that are occurring as we speak. And so while Donald Trump wants us to ignore the reality of what happens when the national government fails to be there to help and protect people, uh, he's going to try to do something that could be even worse and exacerbate the problem more to hide his failures dealing with COVID-19. I assume you'll be watching the hearing that's scheduled in a federal district court in Massachusetts tomorrow very closely, the hearing over the challenge from Harvard and MIT. If the judge there grants those universities' request to stop the federal government from enforcing this policy, this guidance that they put out last Monday, I assume it would apply nationwide, Attorney General? Well, you would hope, uh, because the harm that... Uh, Harvard or MIT or any of these other institutions in other parts of the country could face would visit us as well. And so we would hope. But we're also preparing to go to court and seek a temporary injunction uh, to stop this uh, Trump administration proposal from moving forward. So whether it's through the actions that were filed by Harvard, MIT, or by us, or by the UC system, and countless others who are filing, I think what we're going to find is that there will be a nationwide clamp down on Donald Trump trying to pursue this reckless policy. Attorney General Javier Becerra, thank you so much for talking with us. Mina, thank you.
We're joined now by San Francisco State University President Lynn Mahoney. Welcome to Forum. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you being here. So Attorney General Becerra touched on some of the issues that uh, universities are now facing as a result of this guidance that was put out on Monday. Can you tell us how SFSU is dealing with it? First, we're very grateful to the actions of the Attorney General uh, and to the CSU and the UC for joining in that lawsuit. So while we're uh, actively resisting this unlawful policy, we're also working on compliance in the event that it goes into effect because we have over 1,200 students who will be very deeply and very quickly affected. So right now we are working very quickly to devise opportunities for students, for international students to have in-person meetings while recognizing though that their health comes first. So does that mean you're having to create new classes or maybe turn classes that you originally planned to do online in person? A combination of both. Some of our international students are graduate students in the sciences, for instance, and we did have plans on a modified basis to open up our laboratory. So some are already engaged in some in-person contact, but for many of them, they're not. So yes, we are having to look at creating new, co new courses which of course, at the same time that we're experiencing a budgetary downturn has an economic impact on a public university like San Francisco State, but also on our international students, many of whom have had their financial circumstances changed and suddenly they could face an additional bill of almost $1,100. So are you saying that creating these new classes is a great expense to you and to state universities generally, given the fact that uh, you're experiencing a planned budget cut? Absolutely. And remember, all of our in-person meetings have to be carefully implemented to ensure that students are physically distanced, that they're wearing masks, that they don't enter elevators in large numbers. So this, is, this comes at a great cost to everyone. If this rule does take effect, are you confident that you can accommodate all your international students with at least one in-person class? Yes, we think we can. Uh, hmm. But again, it will come at a great cost to us and to our international students who don't get any aid. And in addition, this is the same group of students that was also excluded from the CARES Act funding. So these are students who have been financially impacted greatly. Mm. Lynn Mahoney, can you give us a sense of the administrative burden this places on you? I mean, how are you supposed to certify that each of your international students is taking at least one in-person class to the federal government? It's been huge. Uh, we've had to take dozens of people who were working on perfecting remote instruction for the fall, for advising students for summer registration or fall registration. We've had to take a team of people offline of work that's really critically needed to work on this intensely. So, uh, and it'll be a lot of hand one-on-one -on -one advising because all of our international students are in different programs. They're graduate students, they're undergraduates. Some are right. already living at home. Some are here in the United States. Some are here in the United States, but not in California. So the administrative implementation of this is going to be incredible. And then just looking out longer term, do you worry that the, the way that this sort of went down. <laughs> I mean, you had, as the Attorney General was saying, initially the federal government saying that it would waive the requirement that most classes for international students be in person, the, the usual requirement given the pandemic, and then suddenly doing what many have viewed as an about face and saying that they must attend at least one class in person. Do you see that sending a message that essentially international students are unwelcome? And, and is that a concern for you at SFSU? I think it continues a pattern out of that administration oh. that um, 
uh, international students are not welcome and that higher education is not a, not a priority for them. This is also an assault on the university. It, it, it impacts our ability to keep our students safe and it impacts our ability to help them continue their degrees. So yes, I, I perceive this as a uh, as threatening to the core of what we do. You what what do you mean by the fact that, that higher education is not a priority for this administration? In the sense that this will, this disables our ability to ensure that our students stay health, stay healthy and allows us to determine the best way to do that. It's dictating how we all offer our courses in a way that forces us to either compromise our students' health, which we won't do, or go to extreme lengths and great cost to the students and to the university to bring them in for in-person meetings. Hmm. Lynn Mahoney, president of San Francisco State University, really appreciate having you on as well. Thank you. Thank you. We're joined now by Zadie Savely. She's a reporter for EdSource. Thanks for being here, Zadie. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Mina. So we talked a little bit about this rule that was made. Uh, and in addition to saying that students, basically, if they are unable to take in-person classes, would need to leave the country or potentially face removal proceedings if they don't, ICE also suggested that uh, students, international students, could remain if they transferred to another school that did offer in-person classes. Is that feasible in this short time? I mean, we're weeks away from the start of most uh, school years at college campuses. It seems pretty unfeasible to me. Um, I don't know how, how easy it would be at this point. I know many colleges are facing low student enrollment um, for the fall, so it's possible that some colleges might be looking for students, but to get a new, to get permission to you know, enroll in a, in a college as an international student, it takes a lot of paperwork. So it seems, um, it doesn't seem to me like a feasible option to actually accommodate these students. Can you give us a sense of the universe of students that could be affected by this? I mean, California, just the UC alone has what, like 40,000 international students enrolled? Yeah, the University of California has about 40,000 international students. Um, the community colleges have about 20,000 and CSU has about 11,000. And then there are many others at um, at private colleges, University of Southern California, USC actually has the highest number of international students in the state is at 16,000. Um, and, you know, Stanford has something like about 6,000 and, you know, there are, <laughs> there are many, many more. Um, and if you look at the percentages at UC, um, international students make up about 14% of, of all of the enrollment. Um, at some colleges, international students are more than 20%, more than a fifth. Wow. And we were hearing uh, Lynn Mahoney saying that they don't get financial aid. I mean, what do international students pay generally for, say, undergraduate tuition here in California? Right. A lot more than in-state <laughs> students. So, <laughs> so at UC, um, they pay about $42,000, which is more than three times what an in-state um, resident would pay. Yeah. Um, yeah, they don't, they, they're not eligible for federal financial aid. So graduate students also pay more than, um, than in-state um, graduate students or even domestic graduate students from out of state, just because, you know, they may not get, they're not going to get um, a full ride for a PhD, for example. 
and so so the tuition actually makes up a big portion of some of these schools income which is one of the reasons why the colleges are facing a you know this is a big issue for them and you also even did some reporting on how much international students contribute nationwide as well right um nationwide the 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 estimate is something around 40 um, billion, I believe, um, to, you know, yeah, uh, in tuition. And I think that also may include like um, their purchases and that kind of thing. Their yeah, the general economic uh, input that they provide. Right, exactly. We're talking with Zadie Stavely, a reporter for EdSource, about a new Trump administration rule requiring foreign students to take in-person classes or risk deportation. We were also joined by Attorney General Becerra, Javier Becerra, and uh, San Francisco State University President Lynn Mahoney. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What is your reaction? What are your questions or comments about this new policy that the federal government has put out? Are you an international student who is impacted by this policy? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786 to share your thoughts or you can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Zadie, you have spoken with students and how they are being affected. Give us a sense of what they're facing right now, how their lives have been impacted by this. So actually, um, the students that EdSource spoke with were actually um, contacted by our journalism corps. So I want to give a shout out to Paula Kiley and Marisa Martinez. But they reached out to students um, both at CSULA, at Sonoma State, and other uh, places. And basically, they're in limbo. I mean, they don't know what to do. <laughs> um, you know, um, uh, Paula Kali spoke with Natalia Marquez, who's a senior at Sonoma State University. She's from Brazil. She's been here since 2016. Um, she, she pays about $20,000 a year to CSU. And she said, how can they do this? We have one month until classes start. Why didn't they tell us this at the beginning of summer break? Um, and that's, that's it, that, I think that's the sentiment for most international students is that this is, they're kind of blindsided because um, as you mentioned, Amina, the administration had said that because of the coronavirus pandemic, um, international students could stay if, even if they were taking online all online courses and now they're saying actually that's not true anymore in the fall we're no longer basically they're trying to say that we're no longer in an emergency and so um you know natalia said well we're already we already took forever to build a life here we can't just move and start from zero i don't think transferring would be an option um and so that is um, that 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 has been the sentiment from most of the students that we contacted. Um, I think also that students are concerned about safety. I mean, as Javier Becerra mentioned, um, this is basically forcing colleges to have hybrid classes at a time when the cases are going up and at a time when colleges and universities have put all this um, effort and energy into trying to figure out what uh, how to how to offer classes safely and whether to offer hybrid, whether to offer um, online. Many, many universities have said that they're going to do online only with some in person for, you know, a few labs here and there for things that can't be done online, but that wouldn't accommodate all international students. And so the safety is a big issue and the tuition is a big issue, I think.
Well, we're joined by, by Essie Liu. She's an international student from China, and she's studying at USC. Thanks for joining us, Essie. Hello. So, Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I really appreciate you being on. And can you tell us what you're facing right now once you found out about this? Um, this new policy was really shocking for everyone of us around. I have like four roommates, and we're all from China. And so for us, it was like um, about a month ago, we all was we we all were like planning to go back to China, but there were a lot of stuff happening in our country right now. There's there there are like several resurgence in major cities, and uh, you mean of coronavirus to, cases. A resurgence of coronavirus cases, you mean? Oh, Essie, did I lose you there? Well, while we try to reconnect with Essie Lou, uh, let me go to the phones because I see a call from Joan in Larkspur. Hi, Joan. Join us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I follow the news pretty closely. Joan? And waiting. And I haven't yet gotten the answer to why? What is the justification for treating these valid student visa holders differently than their fellow students who happen to be American citizens? Joan, it's a very good question, and it's been something that has been hard to really tease out, right, Zadie? I mean, generally, ICE right now is not commenting on the decision because they're citing the pending litigation. But what have you heard or in your reporting found out is the administration on this and why they're doing this? So I did, I, I read in the New York Times that the White House press secretary did defend the actions. Um, and basically, um, I'm just going to read her quote. She said, you don't get a visa for taking online classes from, let's say, University of Phoenix. So why would you if you were just taking online classes generally? Um, that was Kaylee McEnany. Um, so basically, I think their justification has been that um, They've never allowed people to take all online courses. However, they did for spring and summer because of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and so that's the only justification we've heard from them so far. Um, there have been, there's been lots of speculation that this is another um, policy in addition to many immigration policies based on trying to reduce overall immigration, including those who have visas and permission to be here like these students. The other uh, thing that I've heard is that it's part of a broader push by the Trump administration to get schools to reopen from K all the way to graduate institutions. Right. I mean, do you exactly. think that that's playing a significant role? And the reason I ask is, is because I'm a little confounded by that, because I understand why uh, if you want to get the economy going again and it would hurt, it would help your reelection prospects to get kids in school so that parents could work. Uh, that's one thing. But in terms of colleges and universities, whether or not the students are at the campuses or taking the courses online, but living in the US, I don't see how that would boost economic output so dramatically. Well, in fact, it seems like it might actually hurt the economy. If we hear from what the at least that's what the universities are saying, because international students may just not return or may not, um, you know, enroll or may have to go back to their country. Um, I think, I think that that is possible. I mean, certainly the policy is forcing colleges to 
try to come up with hybrid options. Um, I, I think that it is very likely that it has more to do with trying to reduce immigration. We're talking with Zadie Stavely, EdSource reporter, and we're also talking with Essie Liu, an international student from China studying at USC, trying to get her back to join us after the break. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Tell us your thoughts on this. Give us a call, 866-733-6786, or read us on Twitter, Facebook, or email us, forum at kqbd.org. I'm Mina Kim. More after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Forum. The University of California, CSU, community colleges, as well as the state, have all filed lawsuits challenging a Trump administration rule that would strip foreign students of their visas if they take all online classes during the pandemic. Today, 17 more states and D.C. filed lawsuits in opposition to the rule that many say creates chaos for international students and weakens America's academic institutions while also threatening the safety of staff and students. And I believe we do have student Essie Liu back with us. She's an international student from China at USC. Essie, are you there? Yeah, I'm back. Glad to have you back. And so you were saying that after you realized what had happened when the rule came down, you were concerned because you didn't necessarily want to return to China to be able, because you were concerned about coronavirus case counts and you wanted to be able to stay here. Is that right? Yes, that's really true. And the fact is that we are not, it's just not easy to go back to the country as a flight ticket. We're like really, really expensive. And the fact that throughout the journey, there are actually a lot of, I would say, risks regarding the fact that we have to stay in a lot of very, like, uh, like people-concentrated places yes. at the airport. And there are a lot of, like, procedures going through the testing that may involve in some, like, interaction with other people. Yes. So we are, like, um, and it's actually my last semester here for my undergraduate learning experience. So I'm like, okay, I would just stay here and go through all the stuff for this um, for this half of the year. But this policy just like totally disrupt all our plans as we were suddenly feeling like, okay, now like U.S. is trying to kick us out. Yeah, and it's really disappointing to think of it this way. As being an international student, there are a lot of issues. I would say. Does we have to confront and uh, regarding, for example, like the internship stuff as an international student, you may face situations that you're not like able to just get the internship as other like local students. So this case is just being really upset all of us. And we were really worried about like, how can we maintain the visa status while like USC have not provided with us the actual like curriculum plan for the fall semester. That was my yeah, next question. Then. What have you heard yeah. from USC and, and have you had much luck talking with an academic advisor? Oh, so on uh, after I heard about the news, I directly emailed my academic advisor. But sadly, like after probably three days, she told me that there were like a tons of email flooded into her for her her like mailbox at that moment. So um, the time ICE put out that policy was literally a day before 
the the date that I, a USC promised us to give us the plan for the fall semester. So I mean, by then, as a USC student, we had literally no idea about like whether we're going to have like hybrid classes or just all online courses. Yeah, so we were like really worried about it. But later, like USC, USC just sent us an email in a very immediate manner. They told us that we were we we're going to like adjust the like the course plans to try to help all the international international students. And uh, social media, as I like Twitter and Instagrams, I see a lot of like professors and students of USC just stood out for us international students and mm. be like. This is policies just not right, and uh, we should try to help them. And there are like multiple professors. I'm a student, like majoring communications, so I'm a part of the Edinburgh School of Communication. Like some of the Edinburgh professors just publicly say that we, like, if you're an international student who are struggling with maintaining a visa status, just shoot me an email, and we can figure out. Like, probably we can have a like uh, research or any kind of form of in-person class experience that can help you to maintain the status. So that's very, very heartwarming for me. It feels like although like some part of the government is trying to attack us in a way, I don't want to use the word attack, but it feels in that way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people around us, like the, uh, like the other, like my peer students and the professors and all the faculty of the school, they're trying to help us and provide a lot of like actual steps that can like help us to go through those obstacles and problems. And before I let you go, Essie, are you comfortable if you did have the option to take an in-person class, being in class with, with other students, especially given the case counts in LA? Um, um, I would say before this case, sur- before the case number of like on uh, of LA surged to its current state right now, I thought like yeah, online courses just not the not the same quality as in person classes. Like in person classes, you can have a better interaction with the professor and you can learn in a more I would say um, just in a better way. That's the entire environment and vibes would be so much better than the online kind of platform. But after this surgence of the cases, right now, I just want to be safe, really. And uh, yes, it's just very horrible for me to, and really sad to see the cases keep on climbing up while a lot of us are actually following the protocol of self-distancing and just wear a mask and be careful with not only our own safety, but also for everyone else in the neighborhood. Well, S.C. Lu, I wish you the best of luck and hope that you are able to find a course that's safe that also enables you to stay here. S.C. Yeah, Lu, you. you're welcome. An international student from China studying at USC. Let me go to more of our listeners. Mindy in San Francisco, join us. Hi, Mindy. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Can you hear me? I can. Go right ahead. Hi. So, uh, you know, aside from the myriad of problems that universities will be facing as a result of this new rule and the, the difficulties that international students are, ha- are having to go through, which are many, um, 
this is yet again another way, another um, yeah, another way that students of color and low-income students are going to be suffering as a result of a Trump rule, because a lot of for the most part, students, the international students pay full tuition. And so this allows universities to um, provide a great deal of scholarships and grants to students, low-income students who need those in order to attend college. And if these students are not going to be, a, to be paying full tuition because they're not here using the dorms um, and in person, then again, this will affect students, low-income students, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be able to um, offer as many scholarships and grants to those students who really, really need them uh, in order to attend college. Well, Mindy, thanks so much for making that point. And actually, we're joined now by Eloy Ortiz Oakley, Chancellor of California Community Colleges. Thanks for joining us on Forum. Thank you for having me. I'd love for you to respond to Mindy's point here. I mean, to what extent do international students allow the community colleges to provide support and scholarships, say, to students who are low income? Well, international students provide a myriad of benefits to the community colleges. One, just their presence, uh, bringing their culture, their viewpoint certainly adds to the diversity of life experiences on all of our campuses. But as uh, the caller mentioned, uh, they also pay full tuition. Um, and so international students in the California Community Colleges spend approximately $450 million annually uh, to attend colleges in, in living expenses. So that money goes directly into the communities in which they're attending, food, housing, books and supplies, health insurance. So it, it does provide a benefit, and some of that money is used to help support other resident students. So, you know, one could argue whether this is a good thing, bad thing, but the fact of the matter is the mix of students does provide benefit. The mix of of the types of paying students that is on on a college campus does help support and supplement the resources that go to our most under-resourced students. And can you give us a sense of how community colleges are responding to this? I mean, I know that there were some proportion of colleges that were planning to do online only, some that were doing hybrid. What is what is the overall or the most common or likely plan for these schools now? Well, as uh, as was mentioned earlier in your show, this the situation is is fluid from county to county, from region to region across the state. But what we know now and what our colleges are preparing for is they're preparing to be as much online or remote as possible, given the uncertainty uh, with the virus right now. Um, so most of our colleges are going to be as much online or in some sort of remote platform as possible. The safety of our students, of our faculty and staff, is first and foremost. And so I think it's situations like this that cause a lot of confusion, a lot of angst, and a lot of fear. Um, Our colleges, our state, is in the best position to determine how to open up safely. And this could be different in Northern California versus Southern California. But when the federal government gets involved and starts to, to force states like ours, colleges like ours, to open up in the fashion that they think is in the best interest of, of our students. And that's where we, we're, we're having this challenge. So our colleges, so for example, in Southern California, we will probably be mostly online or remote to help protect 
the health and safety of our students. Well, Jeff writes, this seems much too dramatic. Simply have one outdoor class that anyone can attend while keeping proper social distancing. Yes, it takes a bit of work, but it has to be a lot easier than these lawsuits. Is that true, Chancellor Ortiz Oakley, that uh, that really t setting up a class is, is a relatively light lift? It is never, a, there is nothing that's a light lift right now. If you consider uh, all the myriad of issues that our colleges have to consider. First, this is, there is no classroom that just has international students. We have, a, all of our classes have a mix of students. They all come with all sorts of different uh, underlying health issues. We have to consider um, the health and safety of our staff, of our faculty. So it is never that easy. Yes, our colleges are planning for a myriad of scenarios. And I think that um, they will follow through with those, those scenarios as best as they can to ensure the safety of our students. Uh, so some of this is being planned as we speak. The problem is when the federal government comes in and says, you must do it this way. Um, in a situation like L.A. County right now, um, it would be unimaginable that we would just start bringing students back right now. So. Uh, we have to give our colleges the ability to plan for the best scenarios possible within the context of what's going on in their community, working with their public health officials. And that may look different at um, L.A. City College or um, one of the Peralta colleges in the Bay Area. Uh, and so we have to allow for that kind of flexibility, not one size fits all solution. Well, um, Francis writes, will the loss of international tuition fees cause an increase to resident fees? Do you see that happening? Oh, absolutely not. I think that's a, that's a, that's, that's a myth. There is nothing about international students in the California community colleges that displaces resident students. We are required to enroll every resident student that comes to our colleges. We are open access accepting the top 100% of students. So that, that, that does not happen in the California community colleges. There's no displacement. But, but more importantly, you know, this isn't an argument over whether international students are good, bad, or indifferent. The issue here is who is in the best position to determine what is best uh, for the health and safety of students, faculty, and staff. And we continue to believe that our colleges working with our city officials and counties are in the best position, not the federal government. Yes. And, and if I could just clarify, Francis was asking if the loss of international tuition fees could cause an increase in what you would charge resident students. No, in the California Community Colleges, resident student tuition is set by the legislature. Um, and plus, uh, nearly 60% of our student resident students don't pay tuition at all. So this would not affect the tuition that our students pay. And Chancellor, I know you need to leave us, but I, I do wonder if you want to tell us if there anything if there's anything different that community colleges face that is different from CSU or UC that would be important for our listeners to understand in terms of what you're facing, what your system is facing. Well, our, our the students, the international students that are coming to, to our colleges, you know, may not have the same financial means as the international students that come to say UC Berkeley or UCLA. Um, and so it's very difficult for them to just all of a sudden 
pack their bags, uh, pay for a flight, if they can find a flight, and get back home. Many of them don't have the means. They don't have the ability to just pick up and leave. They're struggling to um, to just continue to stay in this country and finish their studies. So much like our resident students, our international students are also uh, sometimes some of the most under-resourced of all the international students at uh, in our higher education system. So we need to just ensure that um, they have every opportunity to stay healthy, to stay safe, and to continue uh, their studies. And uh, uh, I think this sudden change in policy creates a significant burden for them. Eloy Ortiz Oakley, Chancellor of California Community Colleges, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Zadie Stavely, one of the things that I was struck by uh, in terms of what Essie Liu was saying and Mindy, the caller earlier, was talking about was just the way that students and even faculty are trying to mobilize to help um, international students. Can you describe some of the some of the uh, efforts that are taking place right now? Kind of interesting. There are there are efforts, I think, all over California. Um, you can see it on Twitter and um, and different social media where professors and students are kind of brainstorming ways to get around the policy. Um, a professor at UC Irvine said he would he would do in-person independent study with students, kind of like what um, Essie was talking about, about the USC professor. Um, UC Berkeley students mobilized to discuss um, setting up an, student-run classes outside uh, for international students. And, you know, that would be like one credit courses or something like that. And, um, and then other students um, are talking about setting up a, a system where domestic students um, could swap out their in-person classes for international students. It's, it's not clear yet, you know, if that would really be enough or exactly what ICE would accept um, for, for in-person classes. We don't know. I, I'm not sure it's clear whether um, one credit would be enough Hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, what we know is that colleges would have to certify that, um, international students are only taking the minimum amount of online classes, um, to, to continue with their degree and that they would have to take at least one in-person class, but it's not clear exactly if there are going to be other, um, details there, but it is really interesting how people are coming together to try to figure out ways to help the international students. Um, and I, well, I was also struck by how uh, what that meant to Essie um, that she said that it, 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 she felt supported. Yes, initially she was saying that she felt like the the country was trying to kick her out, and this it sounds like this mitigates some of that that feeling. Let me right. go next to Anshu in San Jose. Hi, Anshu. Hi. Hi, go right ahead. So um, I I was at the UC Berkeley campus uh, this past weekend, and because oh, aren't you? I don't know what happened, but we lost the connection with you. Let's see if we can get you back, please. In the meantime, I'll go to Kartika in San Jose. Hi, Kartika. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I. I was an international student myself from India, and now I'm a professor. And what I would like um, listeners to also know is that for uh, about two generations now, students from uh, India and also from other countries in uh, Asia and Latin America have been coming to the U.S. as a preferred destination for higher education 
because of the well-deserved reputation of um, U.S. higher education. But now these students have choices. So we know that in the U.K. they're trying to replace students who uh, from European countries because of Brexit. And we also know that Australia and New Zealand are developing their higher education um, uh, sectors to attract more students. So since the Trump administration claims that it's business friendly, this is also a very short-sighted decision just in terms of the economic impact. Yes, and I don't know if you have any thoughts about what what the benefit is of international students more broadly, Kartika, in terms of why countries would want to draw as many foreign students as possible to their nations. Sure. Um, I think that international students, like most immigrants, you know, they tend to be very highly motivated. Um, they tend to be very well prepared. They're often the elites of their countries who leave. So when they come to the U.S., they're already prepared to make a positive contribution to the economy. And if you just look at Silicon Valley, where we're based, we see that a number of startups um, have been uh, have been started by people who came to the U.S. as immigrants and are now providing employment and bringing innovation to the market. So it's not just a question of the you know, short-term gain of the tuition, which is, of course, very important to institutions, but also what they bring to the economy as a whole after they graduate. Well, thanks for sharing that. And Zadie Stavely, I think I saw a stat that dozens of heads of state or government leaders all around the globe were educated in the U.S., I mean, one of the things that um, Janet Napolitano, the UC uh, president, said was that this is going to cause hurt innovation, that international students bring um, innovation, um, research, that all of their, uh, you know, research and um, new ideas contribute to the campuses. And I believe um, CSU had a similar statement, and so did um, Oakley from the community colleges. So, I mean, that, that is... What uh, the caller said is also what I heard from the American Council on Education around that they're getting calls from parents um, around the globe saying, you know what, um, you know, are we are our students still welcome there? Because if not, I can take my kid elsewhere um, and, and, you know, they can go to many other countries. And um, and so his concern uh, also from the American Council on Education, their concern was also that. Um, that there could be a huge decline in international student enrollment just from people who didn't feel welcome anymore. Well, Noel tweets, we have to give up seeing any logic from the administration regarding this. It's xenophobia, likely from the mind of Stephen Miller. Let me go to Chris in Lafayette. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. What's on your mind? I'd like to say, you know, I don't agree with the Trump administration whatsoever, but I just have a practical question. If I'm a foreign student with means, which many of them are, they're paying full tuition, why would I want to stay in the United States where the COVID epidemic is much worse off than almost any other country if all I'm going to do is online classes? Why wouldn't I want to go home to China where it's under control and do online classes remotely? Chris, thanks. And it's it's a good question, and it does, in some cases, there are students who do want to be able to stay in their home countries and take online classes remotely, and they can still maintain their legal status. Isn't that right, Zadie Stabley? Well, I don't know that they would 
keep their illegal status, um, but they can, there are students who have already gone home and who are, who continue to their studies um, during the spring or during the summer from home. Um, you know, even if students have means, I think that if they're, you know, one semester away from graduating, if they've already begun this, this um, program, it's a big deal to try to move. And I, as Essie mentioned, many students are concerned about getting on a plane at this time. So it's not just that easy of just, you know, returning to their home country. And I've also heard from students from um, countries like Iran that they, they're concerned that they may not have, you know, internet um, at home that is super stable. They may not have um, devices, even when they have means, there may not be, um, there may not be uh, as stable of an internet connection and they're concerned about being able to come back later. Yes, the practical consideration too simply exists in terms of the time change and the ability to take classes at a time when it's not the dead of night for you in your home country as well. Right, and some programs are not available in, um, in, in home countries. So I know um, we spoke with a student, um, David Lizaga in LA, and he, he mentioned, you know, he didn't wanna have to go back to Spain. He, did, he thought that his biomedical engineering um, degree would basically, you know, be, he wouldn't be able to continue. And um, several students mentioned the same to us. Um, and, I, and I do think even though some, you know, many international students do have means is true. That's not true for everyone. There are scholarships that are, you know, not from the federal government. Um, I know many people in my own life who are who are international students who came here on visas, but who did not necessarily have means. It's not the majority, but they're not everyone. Well, let me thank Chris for the question and go back to Anshu. I believe we have Anshu back. Hi, Anshu in San Jose. Yes, this yeah, this is Anshu. Thanks well, for calling. Thank you back. for connecting me. Um, I, I was uh, telling, me, telling you about my experience when I was uh, in Berkeley campus this past weekend with my son, who is a rising freshman. And we are U.S. citizens, so we are not facing this issue. But it was kind of heartbreaking to see that uh, we were looking at apartments and the apartment uh, land, landlords and the big apartment complexes. They have lowered their rents by 50 percent, giving month-to-month -month rent and giving more amenities. And as a renter, it feels great. But looking at the economic impact on just the town of Berkeley, it's just going to be devastating for all the landlords, for all the restaurants and all of those places where these students hang out. This is just it's not the right. Uh, it's not the right thing for the country. It's not the right thing for the students for definitely. But even for the country, it's the small businesses are going to suffer the most. Well, Anshu, thanks for sharing that thought. And, and Zadie Stabley, we just have about a minute left. And we know that there's the hearing tomorrow uh, in federal court in Massachusetts, and then the hope is that there will be a ruling by Wednesday because universities are required to certify on Wednesday whether they'll be fully open, operate on a hybrid model, or offer online-only classes. I mean, what do you think the prospects are that we'll be able to get that done? I mean, it just shows the very tight timeline from the time that they announced this change to the time that they're expecting universities to respond. Um, you know, I mean, we heard from uh, Lynn Mahoney that, that the CSU, that San Francisco State University was going to do whatever it can. I think that that's what the colleges are, you know, they're going to try to do the best they can. Um, I think that uh, it will all depend on the court ruling, whether or not um, the, there can be, you know, the, the policy can be stopped 
um, at least in the temporary uh, term. Well, Zadie Stavely, really appreciate your reporting on this. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for inviting me, Mina. Zadie Stavely, she's a reporter for EdSource. Earlier, we heard from Lynn Mahoney, president of San Francisco State University, Eloy Ortiz Oakley, chancellor of California Community Colleges, Javier Becerra, the state's attorney general, and Essie Liu, an international student from China studying at USC. And thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. Ariana Prail produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.